Thank you, Zach, for reading our scripture tonight and this morning as well. We appreciate your presence tonight. and We want to encourage you to be making plans for next Sunday, the great day. We want to do our best to have as many people here as possible. Uh, we're going to be accentuating the theme, Taking Up the Cross. And so I want to encourage everybody to be a part of that. Invite your friends and neighbors, your family members. Uh, I do want to also mention that our young men will be leading our worship service on Sunday evening. And so you're going to want to be here for that. I'm not sure who's speaking yet. Okay. All right. So anyway, it'll be a surprise. So they'll be ready. I can assure you that. So anyway, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Also, we're going to have potluck immediately after our worship service on Sunday morning. So hope you can stay and be a part of that as well. We are looking tonight at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This morning, we did not finish our lesson. At least, I didn't finish the lesson. And so I'll take the blame for that. And I want us to try to wrap it up tonight. And in our study, we were talking about staying true to God. Our goal is to be faithful. And the reason for the lesson this morning and tonight is because in light of the fact that a lot of our young folks are going back to school, some are already back, some will be going back, there are a lot of things that can potentially damage their faith. And so what I wanted to do was talk about some of the things that they face, some of the very real problems that they face in the world. And I began this morning by quoting Charles Dickens who talked about it's the best of times and the worst of times. And there are so many great things about the era in which we live and so many things for which we're grateful. The flip side is there are a lot of things that are going on in our nation, in our world today, that were in many, many ways unknown to those of previous generations. And so we are in a battle. It is a spiritual battle, and Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 talks about waging a good warfare. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul would say that we are to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he said, be strong in the Lord, in the strength or power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. And so we began, and we begin tonight by talking about our faith must be safeguarded. We have the responsibility of guarding our spiritual life, of protecting our faith, don't we? And I want to begin tonight by very quickly pointing out that it's incumbent on all of us, whether young or old, to know, number one, what we believe, and number two, why we believe it. And sadly, there are a lot of folks that do not know what they believe, nor do they know why they believe it. But Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you. And so, in light of that, we want to know, we want to make sure that we know what we believe and why we believe it. So when you go to college, when you go to school, it's imperative that you have some biblical foundations, isn't it? Do you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul called to mind 
The genuine faith that dwelt first, he said, in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and then he said, in his mother, Eunice, and then he went on to say, and I am persuaded in you also. So you have three generations there, a grandmother, mother, and a son, or grandson. In chapter 3, verse 15, Paul would say, and that from a babe, from infancy or childhood, he said, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, to our young people, I would say this, you have an advantage because your parents have invested in your spiritual life. They have seen it, I guess, fit in many respects to rear you in the Lord, and that's a blessing. And so you have that advantage, and you ought to be grateful to your parents for trying to lay a spiritual foundation in your life. So, tonight we pick up, we talked about we are facing a determined foe in the devil, and we said that he is resolved and relentless in his attacks on those of us who comprise the human family. And then we said we face a destructive foe. What I did was come up with ten things that I believe pose dangers to those of us in the human family, particularly young people. I'm not saying that this list is exclusive to young people because all of us face temptation in life. We understand that the devil is doing everything within his power to destroy, circumvent our faith in God. So all of us have to be aware. We have to be, we have to be on our toes, so to speak. We have discussed alcohol and the dangers associated with using alcoholic beverages. Adding to that any number of other drugs, whether it be pot, heroin, crack, meth, some type of prescription drug that people abuse. We talked about smoking and the dangers of tobacco usage, sexual purity, the importance of making sure that we live pure in the eyes of God, cultivating the right kind of friends and companions, materialism and money, and then also profanity. We concluded this morning by pointing out that we are living in an anti-Christian culture, and that's so true. We are living in an era in the history of our nation that is in many respects unprecedented, isn't it? You can go back and you can read our founding fathers and you can look at what they had to say about God and about the Word of God. And there's two things that stand out. Number one, they believed in the one true living God. Number two, they believed in the power of God's Word. And then I would also add to this that they believed that this nation and her longevity were tied to a belief in God and His Word. And how sadly, in many respects, we as a nation of people have moved or drifted far from those ideals. I want to share with you a passage of Scripture found in the book of Proverbs in chapter 29, verse 18. Solomon said, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. I said that we are living in an anti-Christian culture today. One of the byproducts is that we as a nation of people have abdicated the Word of God. And so it is reflected in the classroom, it's reflected in the workplace, it is evident in our judicial system, it's obvious in our political arena. There are so many different spheres in which this philosophy 
is making headway sadly. Solomon, however, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think, made a profound statement, didn't he? Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about, one of the dangers that we are being confronted with in our world today, evolution versus creationism, aren't we? The idea that we are the products of evolution versus what Genesis 1-1 affirms, and that is that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. You think about the influence of evolutionary thought in our society. And look at how it has filtered down into how those of us in the human family treat or mistreat one another. Again, we talk about living in an anti-Christian culture. One of the things that has influenced heavily this anti-Christian thought, anti-Christian culture, is the acceptance of evolution. That we are the products of chance. That we are the, I mean, to think that there are folks today that buy into the concept that there is no God, there is no creator, that we've simply evolved or that we're the products of some type of spontaneous explosion, Big Bang Theory, however you want to style it. One of the earmarks of evolution is survival of the fittest, isn't it? Now I want to ask you a question. Is that not being played out in our streets today. Survival of the fittest. Think about how many people are being murdered every single day in America. In Memphis, Tennessee, you can watch the news every evening. I look at the news. It's depressing, isn't it? Because over and over again, you're hearing about people that are taking the lives of other people. Go to Chicago. Look at the bloodshed that's being that's occurring up there on a daily basis. Go to Atlanta. Well, I mentioned Chicago. Go to New York City. Go to the West Coast. What do you find? People that are demonstrating this survival of the fittest mentality, aren't they? The strong survive. Might makes right. One of the things that I pointed out in class, I read a great article by Wayne Jackson on the Holocaust. And he pointed out in his article that one of the reasons the Holocaust, one of the reasons why the Holocaust came to be was because Adolf Hitler accepted what Charles Darwin said in his book about evolution. Survival of the fittest. And this idea that there is this superior race. And so those who are weak or lame or whatever, sick, then they have to be cultivated out. So again, all of these things factor in to living in an anti-Christian culture. So I want our young folks to know that when you go in the classroom, particularly in a secular university or college, you need to understand you are, on, you are in hostile territory in some respects. And I might add that there are a lot of places in America today that as a Christian, we are in the midst of a hostile situation, aren't we? To think that there are people today that have no use for God, they have no use for His Word. Let me just call attention to a couple of passages very quickly. 
I said that we need to understand, we need to know what we believe, we need to know why we believe it. And we need to make sure that we are striving to the best of our ability to lay a Christian foundation in our lives and in the lives of our children. My generation, in many respects, it might be that we're not going to change the thinking of some folks in my generation. But those of you that are young have the opportunity to teach your peers, your friends, the Bible. If we want to change the thinking of this country, if we want to change this trend of anti-Christian culture, it begins with our youth. What's the old saying, as the home goes, so goes the nation? Our nation's in trouble because our homes are in trouble, aren't they? And so our young folks, those of, our, those of us today who have children, we need to be encouraging them to understand the importance of following Scripture, submitting to Scripture, and teaching others. It's our responsibility to teach others, but the young, our young folks, they can make a profound, a profound difference in our community, in our country. Hopefully and prayerfully, they might be able to change the direction of this country. In Hosea chapter 4, do you remember what Hosea said about the children of Israel? Hosea said, there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He brought an indictment against the children of Israel. They had enjoyed a covenant relationship with God. They had been given the oracles of God, according to Romans chapter 3, but they had abdicated that way of life. So as a result of that, they were living in a state of what we would call anarchy. And that's, in many respects, what we see in our country today. We are living in a state of anarchy, an anti-Christian culture. So here's what Hosea said. There is swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Is that not a commentary on the 21st century? Is that not what we see being played out in our streets every day? When you read the news, when you read the paper, when you read magazines, when you get online, what do you see? You see people whose lives are being destroyed by what? By sin. And sadly, one of the problems in our society today is we have renamed sin. And we call sin any and everything but what it really is, and that's sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. The prescription is found in the Word of God. If we want to right this country, do you remember in Acts chapter 17 when the apostle Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica? And the Bible says they were charged with turning the world upside down. We would do well to emulate that today. The only way to right the ship is to teach the gospel, isn't it? To preach and teach the truth of God. What is it our nation needs tonight? It's the gospel. So I want our young folks, I want all of us to understand that the prescription for an ailing nation, for a nation that has become in many respects anti-Christian, is the Word of God. When people go to the doctor, think about your children. And the doctor says, okay, you've got pneumonia, or you've got some other type of illness, and so I'm going to have to write you a prescription, but I'm also going to have to give you a shot. Our children don't want to get a shot. I don't like to get a shot. 
but I understand that it's for my good. Well, the prescription is get back to the Bible. That's not what our nation wants, but that's what our nation needs. And really, the theme that ought to be sounding forth from every congregation, from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the North to the South, is back to the Bible. That's the way to get us back on track, back to the Bible. So we talk about living in an anti-Christian culture, and then there is a ninth thing that I think our young folks are being potentially hurt by, and that is social media. I am not a social media guru. You can ask Jared, he can tell you, I'm not. It's true. I heard him say it. I'm not. But I do know that a lot of you out there are. And what you need to understand is what you post in cyberspace is out there. And you might think you delete it, but it's out there, isn't it? So we talk about Facebook, Twitter. Snapchat, Instagram. Here's what I would say, and I would caution you. Be very careful what you post. And could I say this, and this is directed not to just the young folks, but some of us who are older. Some folks ought to be ashamed of what they post on Facebook. They really should. Some of the things that are being posted out in cyberspace, a Christian posting pictures where drinking is going on, partying. Oh, no, that can't happen. Why? Because you're a child of God. You can't do that kind of stuff and go to heaven. You need to understand that. Somebody needs to tell you, you can't live like the devil and go to hell. It doesn't work that way. And then there are some that post pictures of themselves. The only thing I know to say is this. Some folks need to put some clothes on. They really do. They put some clothes on. Now, We all have a reputation, don't we? And that reputation can either be positive or negative. I think we, got a, I think we have a tremendous youth group. And these are the future leaders of the church, and I appreciate so much our young people. They're not perfect. None of us are. But we need to think about what we're doing when we get online, don't we? And by the way, that little phone that we carry in our hands on a daily basis, that little iPhone, it can be the gateway to a lot of good, but it could be the gateway to a lot of bad as well. So I just want you to know that what you post is being seen by a lot of folks. And there are things that are being posted that, quite frankly, as a child of God, some folks ought to be ashamed if you understand what I'm saying. Now, I get the fact that we're living in a culture today where the idea of personal shame is almost non-existent. Do you remember what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 6, in Joshua chapter 6 verse 15? 
He asked the question, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Do you know what he said? He said, no. He said, they're not at all ashamed. And then here's what he said, neither could they blush. They didn't even have the presence of mind, the spiritual foundation, to be ashamed of what they were doing. And that's where we are. And there are some people in the church, they ought to know better, but they don't. And so, what do we have to do? We just have to keep preaching and teaching, don't we? We continue to preach, to teach with all long-suffering and patience because we understand sometimes it takes a lot of time for folks to get it. So you just keep pounding and pounding and pounding. And sooner or later, somebody wakes up and says, you know what, I get it. So, be careful with social media. And then finally, I mentioned a moment ago, creationism versus evolution. There are a lot of young people that have bought into the theory of evolution. What the Bible says is right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's true, isn't it? Now, there are a lot of folks that will spin a lot of theories out there that, quite frankly, take a lot more faith than to believe, than to believe what the Bible says. And God made us in His image and in His likeness. He made us male and female. We are to be compatible, aren't we? We are suitable companions for one another. Here's what the Bible says, and we talk about some of the argu arguments that can be used for creationism. The simplest that I know, design demands a designer. The shirt you're wearing tonight, somebody made it, didn't they? The jacket that you might have on tonight, somebody made that. The dress you're wearing, the shoes that you have on, somebody made those products, didn't they? If I were to ask you tonight, who made your shirt, where'd you get that? and you had that Nike logo on it, and you said, well, nobody, it just appeared, what would you say? He lost his mind. He's crazy. And you know what? I, I would be crazy. Here's what the Hebrew writer said. Every house is built by some man. But now listen to this. But he that built all things, that made all things, is whom? Is God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. God made the world and all things therein. One of the byproducts of believing in God the Creator is this book that we call the Bible. This book addresses our origin. This book talks about our purpose, doesn't it? This book addresses our destiny, where we're headed in life. Do you know of any other book that gives us an answer to to those questions. Where'd we come from? What are we doing here? Where are we going? I don't know of another book that does that, but the Bible does. And there are some folks that are going to tell you, well, this book is just a book of fiction. It is a compilation of what some people have written. And then there have been added these redactors that have filtered in certain parts of Scripture. Well, let me tell you what. There are a lot of things in Scripture that support that this is the inspired Word of God. For example, back in the book of Genesis, God legislated that circumcision was to take place on the eighth day. Do you know why that was? 
because all the necessary ingredients for blood clotting take place on the eighth day. Do you remember what Moses said in the book of Leviticus? That life is where? It's in the blood. For many years, people practiced bloodletting. They thought that was how you dealt with illness. Well, what did Moses say? The life is in the blood. Well, what about the earth, this globe that we're living on? Did you know that there were people at one time, one point in time, that thought the earth was flat? Isaiah. Isaiah wrote 750 years before Jesus ever came to earth. So we're talking about a book that goes back how far? 2,750 years. 2,750 years ago in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 22, Isaiah, the statesman prophet, talked about the rotundity, the spherical shape of the earth. How did he know that? Oh, I know. He got in a spaceship, didn't he? Didn't he get in a rocket and go out, launch out into space and look back at planet Earth and see the rotundity of the earth? No, he didn't. Well, what about getting on Google and typing in the shape of the earth and learning what scientists and astrologers, astronomers said, have said about it? Could he do that? No. Well, how did he know it? Because God inspired him to write that, didn't he? So when people cast doubt on the Word of God, say, look, there are evidences that this book is the product of God. We could talk about prophecy, all the prophecies that were penned about Christ, and you think about how all of those prophecies were fulfilled with pinpointed accuracy. The Bible is not a history book. It is not a book of geography. But what it says about history and geography, guess what? Are true, aren't they? It's a study in itself. So, I simply say all that to let you know, you've got to decide. You see, at some point in time, our, parent, our, our parents are not going to be deciding whether or not we attend services, Bible study, worship. They're not going to be shaping and molding our thought process. We're going to sit down in a classroom, we're going to listen to what the professor has to say, and then we're going to have to draw some conclusions, aren't we? And we're going to have to decide, okay, either what he said is true or it's false. It either squares with what I believe, and that is, it squares with Scripture, or it doesn't. And we've got to be equipped to make those decisions. Now, very quickly, before we close. First, our faith must be safeguarded. Secondly, our faith must be safely guided. In other words, we have to resolve to be guided by Scripture. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? All Scripture, given by inspiration of God, listen to him, is profitable. God's Word can bless your life. I know that there are a lot of people in our world today they don't get it when it comes to the blessings associated with Scripture. But what I want you to know is, if you will submit to what the Bible has to say, God will bless your life. I promise you, He'll bless your life. He will bless you in so many ways, and we're going to talk about the blessings of faith. But first, first and foremost, you've got to build your faith, don't you? Now, it might be that you're like a young Timothy, and your grandmother was a believer, your mother is a believer, 
Maybe your mother and father are believers. Maybe your grandparents were believers. And now you are a believer. But you've got to develop your own faith. You can't live on the faith of your parents, can you? It's got to be your own. So how do you do that? You've got to spend time in the Word of God, and you've got to develop a faith that will stand on its own. Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. It's fun to watch children grow up, isn't it? To watch them grow intellectually and physically and mentally and athletically and spiritually. You are responsible for your own spiritual life. So you've got to determine just how strong you're going to be in the faith. And we talk about some of the things that we're up against, some of the things that you're going to face. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer talks about the byproducts of knowing Scripture. And he said one of those byproducts is that you might be able to discern between good and evil. So when you develop your own faith, when you trust that what God has said is true, then you can look at something and size it up and you can say, okay, this is right and this is wrong. This is true and this is false. This is truth, this is error. Why? Because you know what the Bible says. So you have to build your faith. It begins by studying the Word of God. And then there's a second thing. I can't overemphasize this enough. And that is spending time in worship to God. Bible study and worship go hand in hand. I'm grateful for all the young folks that come to our Sunday night services and Wednesday evening services. We're blessed. Now, I can see the number on the board, a.m., and there's a vast difference between a.m. and p.m. And the ones who are not here are not the ones who sit to my left, are they? It's the ones that sit here, and the ones that sit here, and the ones that sit back there, and some down here. Where are they? Where are they? Don't you think that's a valid question? Where are they? You see, your presence says, number one, you love God. Your presence says that you want to be in the presence of God to worship Him. You care enough about your spiritual life to be here. Could I be very honest and blunt with you? There's some folks, they come here regularly, but they don't care enough about their spiritual lives to be here. That's sad. That's just the truth. They don't care. I might as well be talking to that wall over there in the morning at 9 o'clock. I might as well just come in here and preach every Monday morning to that wall. Because that's what kind of an effect I have on some people. They just tune it out. Here in body, but not here in spirit. You're here in body and spirit. And I appreciate that. So... Build your faith through the Word of God, through the worship of God, and then thirdly, through the work of God. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Get involved. Some of our young folks did a lot of work this summer, didn't they? Went to Jamaica, worked on VBS. Some of you are always doing things. I appreciate that. Stay involved in the work of the church. And then very quickly, the blessings of faith. 
If you're in Christ Jesus, you're rich. You are rich, and you may not even know it. In the book of 3 John, John writes to a fellow by the name of Gaius. He said, Whom I love in truth. And he said, Beloved, I pray or wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Listen to him. Even as your soul prospers. Look, I don't know how much money Gaius had. I'm not really sure if his physical condition was what it ought to have been. But I know this. John said, You are prospering in the faith because you're rich. If you're in Christ, you are rich. You are rich beyond measure. All spiritual blessings reside where? In Christ, Ephesians 1.3. So, the blessings of faith. Number one, you're rich. Number two, you've got a reward waiting on you. Peter said, it is an inheritance. It is undefiled, incorruptible. He said, it fades not away. Listen to him. It's reserved in heaven for you. So, I want you to know, I want to close tonight by saying this in a very personal way. I care about everybody here. And I mentioned a moment ago the fact that sometimes what I say falls on deaf ears. I get that. It's not, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. I care about them. I just wish they cared about their own spiritual lives. That is, collectively speaking. But I do appreciate you, and I appreciate our young people. And I want them to know, I want all of you to know, look, what I say is not intended to hurt anybody. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm trying to help people. And if I can help somebody stay out of trouble, spiritually speaking, then I feel like I've done my job. I want our young folks to know, look, you can call me any time, day or night. I don't care when. You can call me any time. If, if you need me for anything, you can call me. And I'll be there to help you. I'll do whatever I can to help you. And I know, I know Jared feels the same way. I know you can call our elders. You can call Brother Billy or Brother George or anybody. You can call us because we're all in this thing together. We want you to go to heaven. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, why not come to Christ? Why not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Put your faith and trust in Him. Repent of all your sins. Confess His name before others. Be buried with Him in baptism. All your sins will be washed away. Acts twenty two sixteen. And if you're here tonight, maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Maybe you have fallen back into the world. Let me tell you what. No better time than right now, this hour, to make it right with God. The Bible says that, it, that we have the privilege of confessing our sins one to another and praying one for another. Could we do that for you tonight as we stand and sing?